At DCU, our bold approach is what has got us this far. Our ambition, our view to the future, our unique perspectives. And that bold approach is taking us even further towards a more innovative tomorrow. Our strong belief in seeing and doing things differently ensures our students graduate with new ways of thinking, prepared for an ever-changing world. Just one of the reasons why we're the Sunday Times University of the Year 2021. Choose a future for the bold at DCU. Visit dcu.ie slash cao. Welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Jerry Scott, the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent, and today I'm joined by a panel of young people to talk about what matters to the young people of this country in this election. We're going to start off by going around the table and introducing ourselves. If we start on my left, we're Jack. Hi, I'm Jack Carrington, and I'm standing for the Yorkshire Party in Sheffield Central. And who have we got next? And I'm Matt Perkins. I'm uh, with the Yorkshire and Humber Young Liberals. Absolutely. Who have we got next? Alfie from uh, York Conservatives and Chair of Young Blue Northerners. Lovely. And Josh from Leeds Young Greens. And Lydia, I'm from the Labour Party in Shipley. So, as you can tell, we have got a spread of political opinion from our young people today and they are all interested in the politics which affect Yorkshire and how their future will be decided by this election as well. Now, we're going to start by finding out what they think of the election so far, how it's gone, and what young people are really looking for from their politicians this election. Alfie, I know you've been out on the doorstep, but I really want to hear about what your peers are saying to you. What do they want to hear this election? So a lot of young people um, are big on Brexit, and Brexit comes up a lot. And obviously there is a larger proportion of people who are younger who support uh, remaining Mm -hmm. in the European Union. Now, there are people like myself who on the democracy. And I know I've got a lot of friends who are um, part of the Young Conservatives and also members of the Labour Party. And uh, while at University at Lincoln, when I spent a year there, I set up a group called Leave Means Leave at the University of Lincoln. And it was a cross-party group. And we had members all the way from the Green Party to the Brexit Party supporting leaving the European Union. And that was on a number of different principles. And the first one, and the main one, was democracy um, and what they wanted to know. Uh, or what they wanted was to make sure that the largest mandate that the British people saw in 2016 was delivered. Climate change is a huge issue that a lot of young people um, find uh, an issue that is facing the whole world, not just our country. And a lot of there are a lot of ideas and solutions to solving climate change. And obviously we have climate strikes happening with young people in schools. But there are a lot of young people as well who actually think is sitting down on the pavements of York City Centre, graffitiing buildings, the way to change it? Or was it actually looking at it from a conservative centre-right position where we use uh, business and we use capitalism to try and develop new initiatives to try and tackle climate change? Because that is really the best and most effective way. Um, That's really interesting. I'm going to stop you there and I'm going to ask Matt to come in because... You know, you started there saying that a lot of young people support Remain, but you've also got a lot of people kind of on the Leave side of it. Now, Matt, you're from the Liberal Democrats, and yeah. your party has got a very clear policy that you would revoke Article 50. I mean, I, I would imagine you disagree with what Alfie's saying there. Well, I mean, I, I agree that a lot of young people care about Brexit. I think that's something that the vast majority of people I speak to appears do want to remain. And 
he talks about respecting democracy. Me and people my age, and I'm sure a few people around this table didn't have a vote in 2016, and now bound by that result. And a lot of people that I speak to that even did a vote voted to leave in 2016 or didn't vote at all, and now are becoming engaged on that Remain side. You know, we've been clear the whole way through that our goal is to stop Brexit. And whether that's um, somehow a majority that commit their damn government revoking another 50, or more likely, through supporting legislation for a people's vote, we want to do that. And mm-hmm. that is something that matters to students. And all these other issues, whether they're climate or the NHS or education, are so much harder to tackle if we put our country through this economic damage. Jack, you made a funny face there. What was that to? Just on the idea of the Lib Dems being clear all the way through. They've started off um, when Nick Clegg became the leader supporting an in-out referendum then they campaigned against it in the actual next general election then they legislated for an in-out referendum if more powers were transferred from Europe then they campaigned against an in-out referendum in 2015 and then as soon as 2015 was done they all voted for that legislation for the referendum anyway the Lib Dems have been almost unique in their inconsistency on this and I don't find them that democratic party for this and other issues. I, I don't actually know about first 2015 or the US referendum. I would check that. I think, for me, the idea that we wanted the referendum if there was a new treaty transferring powers isn't actually incompatible with opposing that referendum in 2015 because there was no new treaty imposing new powers. In 2009, which is what you're referring to, mm-hmm. the leaflet's name, that was when there was another new treaty that transferred new powers, the Lisbon Treaty. I think that the circumstance in 2016, when we did not need to put ourselves through that process, when we did oppose it, we did oppose and we did support Remain wholeheartedly, which is not the same as can be said for every party around this table, and that is what matters. And we've been clear since the referendum, since day one we supported the people's vote or final say referendum. Other parties are finally starting to come down to that. Now, I think the party Absolutely. you're referring to there when you say not everyone around this table might be Labour, am I correct? It might be, yeah. it might be Lydia. What do you have to say about Brexit? <laughs> well, I'd actually disagree with what a lot of you said, that young people are most concerned about Brexit. Definitely from my experience, mm-hmm. that's not the case. And I'd say Brexit has even gone to the other extreme and disengaged lots of young voters. Interesting. A lot of people I know are so confused by this vote going through this and this being blocked and this that they're almost switched off from the whole thing. And it's only when you bring it back to real things that affect their lives. that people become switched on about politics again. Mm -hmm. So from my experience in Bradford, issues are education, obviously climate change, the massive strikes in Leeds, uh, the housing market, uh, access to higher education, education even in secondary schools. They're issues that affect young people and that get young people passionate about politics. I don't think Brexit is this massive thing that the Tories do paint it out to be that everyone is so concerned about. I think there's more pressing issues especially facing young people that they're concerned about. And I think Josh and the Greens would probably agree with that. Yeah, I would definitely agree with what Lydia says about young people having a broad range of concerns. I think one of the things we can really see for the previous few elections, but particularly at this election, is young people moving much more towards left-of-centre parties, so much more towards the Greens or towards Labour. And I think that's because the sort of generational compact that you work hard, you try really hard, and you do well at school, and you will be rewarded, is broken. And lots of things have broken it, climate change being one. But fundamentally, the economy doesn't provide a decent standard of living for too, so many people. And I think that's a big issue. Mm-hmm. Climate change is a big issue. 
vets it as a big issue. And I think we need to really sort of develop a politics that imagines the world as different to how it how it is now and imagines a slightly better future. And I think you're right what you say there about young people tending to vote the more left wing parties in the twenty six uh, sorry, twenty seventeen election, for example, more than sixty percent of eighteen to twenty nine year olds backed Labour. So Alfie, I want to ask you, how are you helping to convince young people to vote Tory? You, now, you, you uh, are involved in a group called Young Blue Northerners, aren't you? Can yeah. you tell us about that a bit? Yeah, so Young Blue Northerners is uh, designed to get young people in the North actively involved within the Conservative Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, one way of doing that is we don't just target university campuses where a lot of the political parties um, aim to recruit people. What we do is actually focus on working class areas and backgrounds because we've seen a huge surge in working class communities starting to back the Conservatives. Whether that's about Brexit or other issues is up for debate. But there's a lot of people who are starting to see the Conservatives as the party of opportunity. Now are you pushing an open door there with, with the young people? Are, are people kind of really keen to come on board? Or has it, you know, it's fair if it's taken some convincing. You know, you're putting in the legwork. Which one is it? <laughs> it, it's, it's not an easy task. No. It takes a lot of time. And it's almost enlightening people of what... The, Conservative Party offers young people. Uh-huh. It's the party of opportunity, it's the party of aspiration. It's about levelling up society, not bringing people down. And, you know, as we're discussing about all the major concerns people are finding, education is a big one. Not everyone wants to go to university. Uh-huh. And the issue with university now is becoming too commercialised, and we're losing people with skill and, and trades. And so we need to start emphasising on apprenticeships more. Homes, housing, people are beginning to get concerned about, you know, how are they going to buy their first home? And we've seen under the Conservatives, um, the right-to-buy scheme and home ownership is at a 12-year high. Um, and knocking on the door today in York Outer, um, I knocked on the door, there was a young girl who answered, she was only 17, but her parents were out and had a chat with her. And she was actually more concerned, not about tuition fees, and this apparent debt people get, because it isn't actually a debt. What she was bothered about was home ownership in the future. How is she going to get that job? Is university really the right way on uh, this you know, degree worth it? Because there should be more avenues and opportunities available. And in the north, we, we need more. So yeah, it's just pulling up on, just want to pull up on the idea that the Conservative Party are in any way the party of opportunity, particularly for young people. So where I've been knocking round from the, the Manor Estate in Sheffield, um, other areas like that, obviously Sheffield Central covers a lot of students as well. The prime thing is, out of these areas, um, crime, soaring, it feels almost lawless to residents there. So cutting 10,000 police officers, that did not help. The slashes to local government, over 50% on average, that has decimated everything that wasn't a statutory duty, including youth services. That again feeds into crime. You have just family after family who have parents, they no longer believe that their children are going to have a better life than they do. These opportunities aren't there. People don't see careers spreading in front of them. Part of that is access to education has been staffed. There isn't the powerful local community, local areas to have any real say about what skills they're investing in, what opportunities to make. Local government is under a straitjacket and there is no level of regional government that can truly invest in these things like the rest of the world can. And Josh, I'm going to come to you in a second because I know you want to come in, but before, before we finish you there, Jack, there's a lot of issues here that we're discussing which are obviously national issues for young people. And you're all, you know, from, from Yorkshire and 
I know you'll all know this, but as someone from the Yorkshire party, are there issues that are specific to young people in Yorkshire? Are these issues that you're talking about exacerbated here? Um, the availability of um, high-paid jobs with proper career progression. Mm-hmm. The number of people I've known from university or growing up here who have ended up um, basically living in a survival box flat in London because they were drawn there by a salary or reached a certain point in their career. Because, I mean, the London has... It'll be on Crossrail 7 before we get rid of the paces here. I mean, you just... Businesses and companies of a certain size do not feel that they can invest in Yorkshire, partly because of the dilapidated state of transportation, of infrastructure, of education, things like that. Everything centred around a sort of overheating southeast service sector. Things like high-end manufacturing, there's some movement but not much. Um, thing, just any aspect of our economy, it is centred around other areas and not in the regions where, well, frankly, the vast majority of the population are actually living and actually want to prosper. Absolutely. Josh? I was really confused when you said that tuition fees aren't debt. Trans- oh, this, is, this, is, this is 12 fee, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah, I, I, um, I'm in £50,000 worth of debt for my education, and that feels very much like debt to me. And it's a lot of money. It's an almost inconceivable amount of money. And I'm not sure whether I'll ever earn enough to pay it off. However, what the Dreams would do, and taking it back to Dream Policy, is the Dreams would not only abolish tuition fees introduced by the Conservatives and the Liberal Democrats, but we would also have a student debt amnesty so that people who have paid tuition fees and people like me, like many young people out there who are saddled or are going to be saddled by a huge amount of debt, no longer have that burden. But, but who's going to pay for that? Who's going to pay for all those tuition fees? Um, Is that through raising taxes? Yes, that's through raising taxes. And so it's all going to be free, but then those students will probably be paying more tax when they get a job in effect, paying back for those tuition fees. And if you do earn a certain, below a certain amount, you don't have to pay back back, so there is a safety guard. And after, is it 30 years or something, it's, it's completely written off. I, I just, with the danger of being the defender that jumps in on the tuition fees. <laughs> 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 I will say, you know, I, I was, if I spoke at the time, I was di- that, that it was so wrong to make that promise and break it, and I'm not going to you know, pretend that it was. Mm-hmm. But the issue when I speak to students is actually about living costs. Mm. It's about the maintenance grant that we introduced when we were in co- when, that we fought for in coalition, yeah, but the Conservatives took away as soon as we left. That's the issue with people mm-hmm. living. It's about people not being able to get the full maintenance loan. You know, I have a friend who said to me, the only reason that I'm able to go to uni in York is because Kirsty Williams, the Education Secretary in the devolved Wales, Welsh Government, it's fought for everyone to be able to access this incredible maintenance support that means you can afford to live. I've got friends who are from single-parent single, single parent households who just said, well, there's no way I can go to uni mm-hmm. because they can't afford to go there, because they can't afford to live there. It's, mm-hmm. it's easy to say, oh, the debt isn't paid off, but you need there's actual upfront living costs that their parents or them could never, ever afford in a million years, and that just completely takes away someone's opportunity. So you can say the Conservatives are the party of opportunity. It's an opportunity if you're from a middle-class family whose parents can pay it. It's not if you're from a single working-class family. It's just not. It's It's interesting, isn't it, that tuition fees are still on the agenda because, you know, that 
I, I don't want to keep directing it to you as <laughs> so the Lib Dem around the table, but it does seem like that is, you know, a bit of a ghoul hanging yeah. over the party. It does still come up, doesn't I it? it? I, don't, I think that's what I to. And the problem was making that promise and, and breaking it. it. Yeah. And sure. I'm, you know, and I'm not going to sit here and defend that. No. And, yeah. and that's why we've repeatedly apologised for it and we're right to repeatedly apologise for it. But when people talk to me about tuition fees, they say, actually, what's happened since the, the system was changed is more people from low-income families are going to university. That's the truth of it. And people do see it as, well, if I do well and I get a good job, I'll be paying more. If I don't do as well, I'll be paying less than I would be in the old system. In everything, it's more progressive because it means that people who earn better and get the opportunities from that degree pay for it. Mm-hmm. I don't want a system where people that don't go to university, that don't get those opportunities that I'm going to get because I'm going to get a degree, have to pay for me to go to university. It would benefit me, but I don't think it would benefit this country. So, obviously, we can tell from the lively discussion we're having this afternoon, you guys are all very politically engaged, but you are the anomalies, aren't you, in your age groups? Can I, can I ask anyone who would like to come in, really, what made you feel like you needed to get involved in politics in the first place? Can I? Yeah, go ahead, Matt. I mean, there's a thing again, trying to avoid getting too personal. My dad was always quite, um, had a quite serious disability. Mm-hmm. And actually during the coalition years, the services that he relied on in Westminster City Council and back in London, where I was originally from, were cut and he wasn't able to get up to support. And... That the first time I got involved in politics was going and campaigning against the council and campaigning for those services that he relied on. So for me, it's always been so deeply personal. The NHS, the opportunities, caring for people, that's always been something that's really mattered to me. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people I speak to who care about politics, whichever party they're on, have those stories, have their things that I couldn't do this, or I wanted to do this, I wasn't able to. I, they have those stories that got them engaged. You know, I went from the Labour Party to the Lib Dems for a number of reasons we can get to later, but I think... But I do think people are actually starting to get more engaged. I we think agreed. we've seen young people mm-hmm. starting to register in levels that we haven't seen before. The stats in the last few weeks have shown that. Mm-hmm. We can disagree about what that's for. I, I do tend to think it's a lot of it is anger about the Brexit vote, and that's what happens with a lot of people I speak to who are trying to tactically vote to stop Brexit. But I think young people are starting to get involved, and that will mean that the issues that young people care about, Brexit, climate, education, education will start to be heard at Westminster, and that's only a good thing. Mm-hmm. So, go, yeah, go ahead, Jack. Um, got two, really. So our, our leader, Chris Whitwood, who's the same age as me, so he's the youngest leader of a political party in the And UK. how old are you? We are 28. Okay. Um, he first got involved through a campaign to introduce first aid education in, in schools. Mm-hmm. That was his introduction to politics, and it's through that that he saw how how is, how are policies made, how... Do, does this whole structure work and the importance of making sure the the right elected representatives and the right policies are followed through through the political process. For me, um, I've always been most interested in the, the structure of government, the concept of democracy. Mm-hmm. And so my first outing into anything approaching political activism was actually um, uh, campaigning against First Past the Post in 2011, and I've been absolutely vociferous support of proportional representation. That's a small party, that makes sense, yeah. I mean, I wasn't involved in a small party. Oh, fine, I I only joined the Yorkshire Party in 2016, Mm -hmm. but it is the idea that um, just as in the last century um, the value of your vote shouldn't depend on um, your class, your income, your gender, well, why should it um, depend on who you want to vote for and where you happen to live? Like, the, the system as it is now, is, is generally obscene and you can tell that ends of reluctance, particularly of young people, to vote because of that. Mm. I just, and I, 
I'm not going to say, like, I think actually we're probably anomalies in caring about like, voting systems and the mechanics of it, but it speaks to a wider problem of people not mm. feeling represented and engaged. Sure. Because yes. people are having to think of who, where do I vote, who do I vote for tactically, but I don't want people to have to vote tactically. Yeah. <laughs> Even if we're asking people in your council, it's only because we want the chance to change that so that everyone votes they want to vote. And I think it's a lot of what we saw in the Brexit vote as well. People that felt underrepresented for so long because their votes in the past, a lot of times, hadn't counted. Yeah. And we saw a, a, a referendum where people's votes counted the same and they got engaged. So I think 72% turnout. There's a lot of... Yeah, when, when everyone's, everyone's vote, vote counts, counts the they yeah. engage. So, so let me ask you guys, Lydia and um, Josh and Alfie, do you guys feel listened to in politics? Like, like, like I keep saying, I understand you guys are maybe a bit different to the regular person on the street because you are involved, but you know, as a generation, do you feel like you've been listened to? Um, I was. Uh, the first time I got into politics was when Jeremy Corbyn got elected as the leader of the Labour Party. That was the first time there was someone on TV who was saying stuff that I could relate to and talking about issues that I saw in Bradford and it was the first person who was saying austerity is back. Like I grew up with austerity really and I was always, it kind of was the normality and then he was the first person who was sort of saying the stuff and, I was, and then I kind of started to think, okay, this can change and that was the first time I actually felt listened to by a politician and I know people have what they want to say about Jeremy Corbyn but for me he's the most inspiring politician I've ever seen um, and the most real, normal politician I've ever seen and one who genuinely deeply cares. And I think a lot of young people feel like that as well. And I think that is, like, for the massive young person turnout in 2017, I think that can be, like, really largely attributed to Jeremy Corbyn because mm-hmm. he just he just brings something different to the table which hasn't which wasn't seen Blair, Brown, Cameron, were all very different types of politician to Corbyn. And I think people were starting to become engaged, disengaged with that style of politics, the smooth talking, like, spin doctor kind of politics. I think I think I you're think right. I think whatever, wherever whatever side of the fence you're on, whoever you agree with or not, I don't think you can deny that the um, campaign that Labour deployed in twenty seventeen with momentum in particular would uh, brought a lot of young people to yeah. the party. I mean, you know, what what about you guys? What what do you feel listened to? Or do your peers feel listened to? I I don't and I think it's a sort of systemic problem with the way our democracy democracy functions, I think it's partly a function of first past the post. I think it's partly a bigger thing. So why why I got in poli- into politics was I was seventeen, and my there was a big teachers' strike for, organised by the NUT, and my mum's a teacher and my aunt's a teacher, and they know they work long hours under incredibly stressful conditions, not helped by the coalition reforms under Michael Gove, and they really, really struggle to do the best for their children. And, um, yeah, the leader of the Labour Party, who at that time was Ed Miliband, came out and said... This strike is unreasonable and wrong. It's unreasonable for teachers to get fair pensions. It's wrong for them to go out and strike. And so I obviously disagreed with this and I went up to the rally and Caroline Lucas, the Green MP, was speaking there and Caroline Lucas endorsed the strike and was on the picket lines fighting for 
a better education system. And that's that's what that's when you thought the grooms were for you, was it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I got engaged because she she and the Dream Party cares about and talks about stuff that I care about and stuff that's really relevant to me and to my family and to my community. Mm-hmm. I think for everyone who gets involved in politics, there's always a trigger point. And, you know, we've heard some of the trigger points in here, uh, whether that be a politician or justice or your teachers on strike. It could be anything. And I think for me it was, I think similar to yours, it was the personal background and it was a bit of a story in my family. Um, my dad um, left school about 16, 17, became a plumber and he came from a working class background and he went out, learned a trade and now he has his own small business and he's self-employed. And people like that are are within the silent majority. And I started to see that and I started to hear their screams, so to speak, of um, how they wanted things changing and their screams through voting. And that's why we've seen a Conservative government since 2010. Because the people in the silent majority are pragmatic. And what they want is, they don't want free everything. They don't, they don't believe in that. What they want is just that little bit of appreciation, that little tax break so they have a bit of extra cash in their pocket to take their kids on holiday. And it's this silent majority, I think, that people, you know, this silent majority are fearful of a lot of these more extreme parties. Um, and I would even say the Labour Party at the minute with their spending spree, because it's the hard-working people at the bottom, down the line, who are going to have to pay for all these things. It's it might sound brilliant true. now. Yeah, that's it's not, not actually true, because the manifesto is fully costed, and taxes aren't changing for the 95%. The problem with any of these It's the top 5% the taxes are changing. I doubt your dad's in the top 5%. Anyone earning over 80000 Yeah. That's a huge majority of people. No, it's the top five percent. It's, 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 it's not the people, majority of people. It's the top five percent. It's not the majority, but it's a lot of people. No, in it's the, the top. In the, it's the top in the middle, five percent. And it's this idea of the squeezed middle. I mean, this will cost people. This could cost people up to two thousand four hundred pounds a year, which is which is a family holiday. Go on, Matt. Could I, could I just like re- really briefly? I think both parties have been guilty of making these sort of these places that can't be cost and. The issue with cost things is... By both, you mean... They, sorry, the Labour Party are the two, yeah. two larger parties. And what we are called for is for all the parties to submit their manifestos for the Office of Budget Responsibility mm-hmm. to independently cost them. We're prepared to do that. We're prepared to put our cost things to the test. Neither of those two parties, neither of the Conservatives or Labour were. And I think that does say something. And then we saw another uh, what, the £58 billion pledge for the Waspy Women, which we have in our manifesto, but that was separate to the whole cost things. And then we saw on the Andrew Neil interview... Um, I don't know when this is going out, but it was yesterday when we were going out that small business owners who take dividends rather than a salary will actually be impacted even if they're earning yeah. well under the average. My main point about costings is the idea that the, they are always subject to a huge number of assumptions. So obviously the Labour plan will assume that um, the price of borrowing will not go up, that there won't be a run on government credibility by promising all of these things at once and so suddenly. Um, it assumes that there no, won't be any high-level taxpayers leaving in any way. It assumes so much. So when any party says, oh, we cost it our manifesto, just like, well, yeah, you can make the numbers work if you're the ones doing the sums. Um, and even in that sort of bubble, um, as I said, there's been several things that have been listed outside of that that were just jotted in as part of an election campaign. That doesn't, To me, that doesn't seem like responsible government. I think it's... Hel- incredibly out of touch with the experience of most young people I know to claim that 80, 
people owning, earning above £80,000 are the squeezed middle. That I earn £15,000 a year and that's more money than I've ever had. And a lot of my friends are working zero-hours contracts where they don't get a living wage and they barely get minimum wage. And I think the concerns of somebody who earns five times the amount that I earn, the amount that a lot of my peers earn, is, has a very, very different experience. And they can probably afford to pay a little bit more for things like the NHS or things like free buses or that free public transport which is part of the Green New Deal proposed by the Green Party or that sort of thing. And it's, it's fair, it's only fair to ask, the, to ask richer people to pay a bit more, especially when this government and the coalition government has led to one of the largest transfers of wealth to the super rich in the past 50 years. Um, I mean, we've hit record levels of um, employment in this country since the 1970s. We've seen the gap between uh, the richest and the poorest in society actually get reduced. And zero-hour contracts, yes, I I, I agree. They um, They are not suitable for a huge amount of people on them, especially when you leave university. But I wouldn't be able to be able to go to university without working on a zero contract because I wouldn't be able to afford my living. So uh, to this Sounds idea of like an indictment of a conservative government there. <laughs> say that, but then who would be paying for that? I mean, I don't personally think it's fair to tax people who didn't go to university earning a moderate wage for me to have that education. To me, that's not fair. So... We've obviously touched on a lot of issues there. There's one more I want to cover before we kind of wrap up and talk about your priorities for the election. Votes at 16 is something that's been discussed by a lot of parties. You know, you guys aren't as far off of 16 as uh, many of our listeners will be. Would you have liked to have the opportunity to vote at 16? Well, I'm 17. Um, I can't vote in the Mm -hmm. upcoming election. So obviously for me it would be a massive... Thing. And I think, you know, you can give consent to have sex when you're 16, but yet you can't have consent in who's the government when that's someone who's going to be in in four years when you're 20. I don't, re- I just don't really understand how it makes sense. People think that maybe young people aren't educated enough, but there's a solution for that and just introduce more education and politics in schools mm-hmm. and an unbiased uh, representation of what each party stands for. Just get, if you get people into politics from a younger age... And we've seen with the climate strikes, young people are interested in politics. They do know how to stand up for themselves. They do have a voice. We just need to encourage that voter engagement from a younger age. And I don't think it makes any sense for the voter age to say 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sorry, I think if you get people voting when they're at school, when they're 16, when they've got that support network around them and they can be helped to register, they can be up, mm. then they'll keep voting when they're 18. Yeah, And I, I think agree. that's why you, that's why we see the drop-off in it, because it's sort of people left their own. But I think you know, people are able to join the military at six. I mean, it's the same argument we've always had. Yeah, the Senate will have sex. Like you said, it's to me. I think sixteen is a perfectly legitimate age to give people those rights. 
have a say, especially pre- you know, other people at 16 and working or in apprenticeships, they should be able to have that say of their working life and conditions. Mm-hmm. I have um, a position that I think annoys most people, which is, I, and genuinely, I believe in votes at 17. So, <laughs> um, because I, I think that it's it's not just about the rights acquired. It's I think maturity is about um, dealing with consequences from exercising those rights. So um, nine months after your sixteenth birthday, um, you're getting into the result of potentially of parenthood, things like that. Um, you've had to make you've had to make the decisions about things like um, uh, which. Uh, which courses you've taken? You're you're on an apprenticeship. Have you gone apprenticeship? Have you gone to A level? Have you gone to that? You're no longer simply run of the mill in school with one teacher teaching you one thing. Everyone's having different experiences and getting from it, um, getting different things from that. There's also another aspect, which is I believe in four year parliaments and 21 is the traditional age of adulthood. If you have votes at 17 and you're four year parliaments by the age of 21. Every single person in the country has had the opportunity to vote for or against the government they're governed under. Um, so, yeah, um, as I say, I don't pick it because it's in the middle. Genuinely, I think edgy. that's about the right place for it. And by the way, that's not party policy. <laughs> that's, your, that's your personal <laughs> policy, absolutely. At votes at Sitsteam, it's a fantastic idea. I challenge any party that's been in government in the last 20 years and hasn't pushed for votes at Sitsteam to go down to the climate strikes and to talk to young people there and to tell them that they're not mature enough, they're not engaged enough to vote. There are also plenty of adults who aren't that mature, aren't that engaged, and we don't, it would be horrendous to try and stop them voting. I also think it's not just about votes at 16, but also we should let European citizens vote. Also, we shouldn't have ID laws for voting, which I think is a scandalous policy. And straight out of like the American voter suppression, like handbook, I yeah. So votes at sixteen, but also we should look at other people who are in Britain and disenfranchised as well. Alfie. I imagine um, you're going to disagree a little bit there. Yeah, from experience, at 16, I, I wasn't mature enough to vote. I simply wasn't mature enough to vote. That's your problem. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was my problem. I mean, I was, I was engaged. I did deliver some leaflets. But even then, supporting the party I am, I, I am currently with now, I still don't think I was, old enough to, I was old enough to vote at 16. And I think at 18, I think that's the right time. I think you're mature enough. As you say, people go into apprenticeships at 16, but they haven't actually had that life experience yet. So I think this age from 16 to 18 gives them that little bit of life experience. And when you get to 18, again, you're at university or you're considering to employment, you're starting to get even more experience. And I think you're, you're, you are just not mature enough at the age of 16 to go on. If I could pick up on a couple of points that were here, I think ID for voting, I fully support. Because I think there have been some major issues, especially with postal votes at the minute, um, where people. Well, yeah, yeah, but but I mean, there have been (laughs) issues around um, voting with ID because all you have to go into the voting booth is see your name and address without having to show any ID. But when you buy alcohol, you've got to show ID. When you go on holiday, you need ID. Yeah, but they're voter fraud. You need ID. To go into, to get, you know, to apply for a job, you need ID. 
why why shouldn't we for um, voting? Okay, if we're talking about consistency, so um, as you, if you are of an age that you're able to vote, you think everyone should be able to exercise that vote. Um, are you planning on bringing in free ID for everyone? Is that something you would want free? Also, when it comes to the rights, you say you're not mature enough to vote at 16. I mean, if you want to go through some other votes you would remove from 16-year-old and move up to 18, it would be good for young voters to know what else has been taken away from them to make that consistent in your argument. Regarding voter ID generally, I think this is the problem that both the main parties, the Conservatives and Labour, Labour probably, yes, they are biased on making voting too lax and too easy and they're not committed enough to try and root out voter fraud. But the Conservatives and Labour are using this as an opportunity to take out sections of the population from voting that they'd rather not. So this is why you ha- don't have mass rolled out free ID or free passports, but people, or, for example, students allowed to just use their ID card. I mean, do not trust, say, the University of Sheffield to honestly keep a record. Why isn't that an acceptable form of ID? This is why people suspect, uh, suspect the Conservative Party, is because they're not actually trying to make it accessible. So that's why they don't believe your motives well, about voting. But, but, but I mean, lowering the voting age to 16, is that because they can... Um, Put out fake promises, you know, promises that they cannot simply deliver. Free stuff, free everything. Anyway. Yeah. Well, both parties do that. Why does that make a difference to 16 year olds? I mean, do I, do I hit 18 and just go, I certainly I don't want anything free? <laughs> I mean, you, you know, like you it's can. It's a well known fact that you can bribe pensioners, you can bribe young people, you can bribe anyone. I mean, there is an issue at times within education where there is a left bias. And that, that is that that can be that is fact. I've experienced it at university. I've experienced it at school. And so, at sixteen, when you you are in your education, you are at school even. You're going into university. Well, obviously, that's after eighteen. But you're yes. in school, for example. You Most do experience. From you? No, no, no. You do experience bias from teachers, and you do believe it's what they quite harder there to not be a school bias. You place trust. When I, we don't have enough textbooks to go around, we don't have enough glue sticks to go around. We, there's a one class sharing one glue stick because my school's so poor it can't afford the resources. It's quite hard to hide the left bias when the Tories have literally destroyed the schools. My teachers are all mutual, but it's pretty obvious what the government's done to my school. You can't hide it. If they want the left bias to stop, they need to start funding education. Well, that's properly. why there's more funding going into education. For example, in York Central, there's going to be a 5.6% increase in um, funding for pupils at schools. I mean, the government, the government, the Conservatives, are tackling these issues and they are putting more investment into all sectors. So uh, it's, it really grates when you say that Conservatives have been tackling these issues because the Conservatives have been in government for nine years. And if you say the Conservatives have been tackling these issues, why have they been creating these issues? If you say, for example, the Conservatives are going to ban fracking, why have they been allowing fracking? The entire Conservative manifesto seems to me to be an exercise in promising to stop doing the bad things they've been doing for the last nine years. And frankly, I don't see why young people, why any people, regardless of whether they're 16 or 18 or 21, should believe them. So, so there's been a temporary ban put on fracking by the Conservatives, and that won't change, as the Conservative spokesman stated, until new scientific uh, evidence has been provided to say that, to say otherwise, basically. 
Um, to come back to austerity, yes, austerity has been in place since 2010. Why? Because in the Treasury there was a letter left saying there is no money oh. left. So, and so, yes, we are replacing what we cut because we couldn't afford it at the time. Right. But, but there is even more funding going in for more investment. So in North Yorkshire, for example, by 2025, we're putting more police officers into that force, and it's going to be the largest it has ever been in its history. The 2025, I mean, we're having a growing population. Like, at, at any random point in time, the police force will be the largest be, ever been ever. Thing. So that is literally just... Rep- and so you've got rid of about 20,000 experienced officers, and now we're having to go through the whole process of training all over again. That is expensive and wasteful. The, the that was an error of the service. The question is I mean, also just, about austerity. Is you say that Labour left a note saying there's no money left. But who's been paying for it? It's been people on benefits. It's been people on university university credit. It's been doctors. It's been teachers. It's been nurses. It's been everybody. It's been everybody. It's that's what it's been. Yeah, it hasn't been the super rich. The super rich are richer now than they've ever been. It it hasn't been everyone paying for it. It's been the working class people paying for it. Precisely. And so, why do we want to go back to that position? Well, the reason reason we've had austerity in these massive cuts is because of the overspending that the last Labour government inflicted on this country. Austerity hasn't worked. The Congress have come out and said austerity hasn't worked. George Osborne promised to match Labour's spending plans for the first two years. So, this peak of overspending, well, cynically probably, but he pledged to match it at the time. So it's not as if the Conservatives were this font of um, fiscal conservatism at the time. No, they pledged to match Labour. They pledged to match new Labour at the time. I, I just want also, to... Just, Let's let Matt come in here. Yeah. I was going to say, the reason that we had a financial crisis is because, it's because both the Conservatives and Labour, and to the as well, ignored the problems in the city of London and, around the, and governments did it around the world. Mm-hmm. It's because we had a global financial crisis because of poor regulation. And that meant that, like, you know, okay, everyone puts on the bill. I think the Conservatives, and you saw it after we left coalition in 2015, they suddenly put more cuts on child benefit. They suddenly reduced even more for the people on the lowest that we've been blocking. So, yes, there were, there were, there were issues, but to, to pretend that it's Labour's fault that there was a you know, financial crisis, even if my party would benefit from people thinking that, it's just not true. <laughs> this is the fundamental problem with um, both Labour and the Tories, uh, New Labour and the Conservatives. They basically bet everything on an overheated service sector in the South East. They bet everything on that. And then when a recession comes, or it, I'll say it's just Labour big spending, when the recession comes or when a change of government comes, suddenly the rug is pulled out from everywhere. If you don't give areas the actual powers to build their own prosperity, there's nothing left. When a recession comes or when these big events happen, there's nothing to fall back on. So an example of um, apparently the Tories investing more than they ever did, particularly in York. Well, York gets about um, £4,000, barely over £4,000 per pupil. Some areas of London, it's over £7,000. Like, that, that isn't an excusable disparity. And this is uh, what happens. We have so much power, so much power centralised in London and the South East and the central government departments. They don't understand it. And don't say the word Northern Powerhouse. That is just a slogan. That has not been delivered. <laughs> if you have a Sheffield City Green that gets an extra £30 million a year by treasury gift. And I, 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 I mean, th- th- this is absolutely no, pathetic. I agree. I, I, agree, I, I agree with some of your issues, and that's why the Conservatives... You should be agreeing with all of that. That's, 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 <laughs> that's, that's, that's why the Conservatives brought in Metro Mers, for example, in the West Midlands, in Teesside. Didn't I just that's mock had. that a second ago? <laughs> and, 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 and the impact that's had has been absolutely fantastic. York Central, for example, since 2010, 
One being the most deprived, it hasn't and, um, it hasn't and, and 360... So you're saying where you don't have a policy implemented... What, what, no, what, I'm saying, what I'm saying, in York Central, the deprivation in York Central has reduced dramatically. It was in 300, it's now in 364, one being the most deprived. Okay, so there are societies in Yorkshire, especially my example being York Central, who are improving. And these people have seen those benefits. It's a really interesting discussion, guys. But unfortunately, we are running out of time. So just before we get to the end, I'd like you each to take 30 seconds, if you can, just to tell me, kind of party politics aside, I know it'll play into it, but if you can, party politics aside, the one issue that is really going... To, that you're really going to be keeping your eye on as we come up to the next, you know, two weeks, the last two weeks of the election. What could really kind of get you fired up and make you think, yeah, I really want to vote for this kind of thing? Lydia, let's start with you. Um, I'd say climate change is my big one. Um, I've been on quite a few of the climate strikes, and I'd say that is just the most pressing issue, just because it transcends all other domestic and foreign policy in that we're the, the climate crisis is the most pressing issue that no one would argue with that, I don't think. Um, but also just, especially from where I live, just the levels of poverty really is probably the thing that most upsets me, just the the massive increase in homelessness, just people who are struggling to get by. I work um, at a bar um, part-time, but a lot of people there are full-time and they're on zero-hours contracts. So I'm now struggling to even get the bus home from work and it's stuff like that, it really does stir up an emotional reaction in you and it is stuff like that that kind of gets me into politics yeah. and yeah so I'd say they're my kind of issues So, yeah, so unfortunately Lydia stole my issue <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes what I think the title of the podcast was what young people want from this election and I think speaking Hope, speaking for all young people, young people want a planet we can live on in 20, 30, 40, 50 years' time, and that means a rapid and just transition to 100% renewables, and that needs to happen now. This is a climate emergency, and this election will be a climate election. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is it the climate election or is it the Brexit election? I'm afraid for me it's the Brexit election. Um, I think it's vital that we get Brexit done because the only party that can end the confusion is the Conservatives. All we need is nine more seats to get this deal through so we can move on. I think it's fair to say I might not be speaking for the, the majority of young people because that isn't the case, that's fact. But knocking on doors through every single day since the election was called, the major thing coming up is how do we end this uncertainty? Do we vote Liberal Democrats? And as I've been saying to people in the door, if the Lib Dems get a bigger seat, a uh, bigger majority in the House of Parliament, we're looking at home Parliament. So I'll be back on their door in two months' time um, seeking their vote for another general election. Labour's position on Brexit, goodness knows what that is. I feel sorry for their canvases because they're going to magic up a deal. Crazy, actually. Magic up a deal that doesn't exist. <laughs> magic up a deal that doesn't exist. Take it back to the people and campaign against that deal. I don't know where that'll take us, but we'll also see two referendums, one being the EU referendum, and one with the SNP, because we're getting into... This is a long 30 It's getting on to the priorities, and that is to make our streets safer, but it's about levelling up society, not pulling it down. Absolutely. Matt? Yeah, I'll, I'll 
Didn't know I was going to be agreeing with Alfie, but it's, for me it is also Brexit is this big issue. I'm going to tackle it in a slightly different way. Pods and country think, brings people together. Well, I think, you know, and these issues with climate, I don't think we can tackle climate change properly unless we're part of the European Union fighting together to end this issue because we can't do it without this international cooperation. Our, our economy, the, the government's own analysis shows that the people in the lowest income are going to bear most of the economic damage of Brexit through higher food costs, through higher fuel costs. And I think so many of the issues that we all care about, we can't do until we move on from Brexit. And for me, that means we, we probably won't win a majority, but when we win, our MPs will go and they'll fight for a, people, for a final say referendum and give people a say on a specific deal and let the people decide what what, what share of Brexit. Jack, round us off. I think the issue that's coming up most is actually one of just fundamental trust. I don't think people trust Parliament to be of them and for them anymore. They don't trust or want any of the major party leaders to run the country. There is huge negatives for all of them. People are generally resentful that this is the best. This is supposedly the best they have to offer. They hate the fact that they're it's suggested to them that they have to vote for the least worst against their most hated one. Um, I think there's a lack of faith as well that in general government can truly deliver change. They're not seeing the changes they want. And obviously for us it's all about um, bringing parent decisions towards people as much as possible, towards localities, towards individuals, empowering them so they do feel that politics can actually make a difference, that they can actually have more control of their own lives and their communities. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got time for this week, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if we saw all of our guests that we've had today on your doorsteps, canvassing, or even in Parliament. Um, you know, it's it's obvious the youth vote's going to be massive this election and could definitely swing it. Um, join us again next week for another episode of Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. You can find us wherever you usually get your podcasts. Please leave us a review, share and tell your friends and make sure you subscribe as well. I've been Jerry Scott. I'm the Yorkshire Post Westminster correspondent. Do come back next week. Nice arms. Here, let me show you how you lift it. Since you're new. On grand. Thanks. Sure, she's only showing him the ropes. Okay, bend the knees. Yeah, right down. Uh, uh, Can you stop touching me? He can look after himself. Relax, will you? I'm only showing you how it's done. Most men would be delighted with the attention. Will you stop? Let's stop excusing sexual harassment and sexual violence. Enough is enough. Learn more at gov.ie forward slash no excuses or in an emergency call 999.